Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Product Growth Leaders topic of the week. Uh, we got a great panel today, John Harmer, Jason Vincelette, and as always, uh, the wonderful, the industry legend, Steve Johnson. You're an industry pioneer, right? <laughs> well, I think you just called me old, but okay. Which makes you older, pioneer or legend? I think legend. Uh, I, there was a time when okay. a reporter was interviewing like Lauren Bacall and Nicole Kidman. And she said, you know, it's just great to be with these two legends of Hollywood. And Lauren Bacall said, honey, you got to be a lot older than she is to be a legend. <laughs> and we haven't even gotten into our topic. We have our first rant. <laughs> Indeed. Rant on. Well, this... This week's topic was stakeholder management. Actually, it was one suggested by a regular panelist, Greg Fenton, who cannot be here today. Uh, but with that said, let's dig into the, uh, the immediate uh, first Monday question. All right, let me make this bigger and make me disappear. And we go to the next page. All well, right, that, so I'm getting better each week, I'm getting better. Uh, the question we asked on Monday, what are the keys to successful stakeholder management? And <clears throat> I think we actually now have somebody in the running to chase Jason around being the first person to respond, or the most often first responder. Paul Hurwitz came in, I think it's been two or three times now in the past few months. Jason, you're, you still have a hell of a lead. But Paul came in quick with the most important part of stakeholder management is identifying the correct stakeholders and separating them from facilitators and people working on a project. After that, it's all about the same understanding. And, I, you know, I had never thought about it this way. Who's the stakeholder versus who's just somebody who is part of the project? Steve, talk to me about what your thoughts are on that. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I do have a thought. <laughs> um... I do a lot of like roles and responsibilities work. And one of the things that really trips people up is when you do RACI. Uh, it's a couple of things that are weird there. I mean, RACI stands for Responsible, Accountable, Consultative, and Informed. Uh, one thing I've done is I've modified the A. There's a, a variant of, of RACI where the A is not accountable because nobody knows what that means. And you change it to approver. So you've got responsible party, and then who has to approve the work before it goes forward? Who must be consulted and who must be informed? And I think the success, the, the stakeholder is the one who must be, who must approve before you go forward. And there are a lot of people that we consider stakeholders that I consider to be just the ones who are being informed. Or consultant. Uh, like, uh, um, you know how I love salespeople. Um, salespeople want to know everything. Um, but, you know, they're only, should only be involved in being informed. Uh, they don't, they're not consulted, although generally I would consult salespeople, but I don't, I'm not required to. But I am required to, you know, get approval from 
the true stakeholders. So that's my take is when you want to look at need to know versus want to know, the need to know people are the approvers. Yeah. And I've actually, Steve, are the R and the A was always the most complicated. And whenever I've done the racy, I, I sat down with the people and say, okay, we need to have clear definitions of what is responsible mean, what does accountable mean. <clears throat> and even at one client, we actually made it an ARCI, A-R-C-I, because accountable became first. Accountable is like your approval. Who's the one throat to choke, right? Who's going to be the person who's is fully accountable for that? Responsible are the people who are helping get it done and then consulted and informed. But to your point, it's that whether it's approved or accountable, that's the person who we're I, I completely agree with is, is who the stakeholder is. And then I thought Paul came out with a good one. This next one, I believe John was you, correct? The key to stakeholder yep. management as with much of product management is empathy. Understanding what is important to those stakeholders and communicating frequently in ways that speak to things that matter to them, sharing not just what, but also the why framed in terms of what is important to them. You go on to talk about what's important to a sales leader and uh, a marketer. Actually, Jason, this made me think of uh, a conversation we had, and I don't even know which one it was, where you, we were talking about whether it was difficult decisions or something. And you, you basically said you have to treat the internal people like they're your customer, they're your internal customer, and you understand their problems. So it really resonated with me. John, talk to me about your, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... I guess some of this is even just communication skills one-on-one at the end of the day, right? So understanding the point of view of the person that you're talking to. Um, everybody gets wrapped up in their own things and uh, has their own OKRs or metrics or, you know, salespeople have their numbers they're trying to hit. And if you're talking to them about, you know, story points and crap like that, they, they won't care. Right. Uh, so just tell, this how, tell them how this is going to help them uh, achieve the things that they need to achieve, I think is the best way to manage. And then, you know... Yeah manage expectations around all that. Don't tell the salespeople that you know exactly what's going to be in the release to, to some stuff Steve and I have been talking about. Um, yeah. You know, make sure there's lots of hedging and guessing and uh, that buffer in the ways you communicate just so you can under-promise and over-deliver eventually. No, it makes a ton of sense. And, and I, you know, I, I know we've got your answer on the next page, Jason. You know, talk to me about, you know, the customer, the internal customer and the problem. We talked about it before. Yeah, so when I looked at this question, I was thinking too, um, you know, kind of executive management uh, as people lead their kind of functional areas. Um, so, you know, one of the hardest groups to kind of get through is finance um, because they obviously want the revenue and they don't want any of the costs. Um, and so everything that you do, you have to think about, um, you know, exactly what John was saying is, you know, how do I put the things that I want to do to the product in not only a language, but also in a, um, so that the, let's say, for example, the head of finance understands the benefit to the product line, um, to the market share. So it's always the also why, but where are we going to go? What is my anticipation to, for growth associated with this? If you could speak in that language to finance, they understand, Ooh, um, maybe it's a, you, maybe you're trying to kind of, um, explain how you're going to reduce costs and some sort of DevOps problem that you're solving or if you're going to increase revenue, which they really, really love, um, then that's kind of a way to um, get that stakeholder on board. But again, yeah, talking story points and all that, you, it'll actually go in the opposite direction because they'll see everything as a cost and then they'll want to get too, want to get very much involved in your process. So you have to keep it at the level that they understand to get them excited, um, but still be completely honest. It's just, um, you know, just changing their story to your audience. Like you said, communication one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, I, I remember long, 
ago when I was getting my MBA, <clears throat> the ongoing argument with the finance people, you know, who's more who's more important to the business, marketing or finance? I'm like, and the finance like, well, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have a budget. I'm like, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have a product. <laughs> but, yeah, I've, I've heard <clears> the same <throat> dichotomy with with sales. Sales goes, you know, <laughs> hey man, it's all about the revenue, and I'm like, hell, well, hey, enjoy selling nothing. Yeah, we no, exactly. We all have a part to play. No. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> the next answer actually came from uh, somebody we hadn't seen in the room for a while. Uh, and good to have some new voices back. As you said, John and Paul nailed it. Uh, there's an art to communicating bad news like delays or cost increases. So understanding your audience timelines, and I almost said timeliness, timelines and expectations through the project. Uh, not just the beginning. It's key to ensuring your trusted resource and voice in good times and not so good times. Communicate, communicate, communicate. So obviously communicate, it, it, Sandy thinks communicate is a key part of stakeholder management. But I think that was a critical thing to think about was it's not, you know, there's a lot of stuff you set out at the, the front end of what you're doing and talking about. Uh, but it's not just, uh, it's not just the front end, it's through the whole project. And of course I moved the slide back. And you know, uh, that, that's, I have to say, that's my failing. You know, I, I just wish everybody would shut the hell up and let me do my job. Uh, and, you know, I gave you a roadmap a year ago. I'm still on that roadmap. Uh, what the hell, you know? And then I turn around and everybody's like, well, shoot, I don't even remember that conversation. And, and meanwhile, three months has gone by and so much has happened in my life. Uh, that I've added, you know, a 900 more things to my mental list that I think you're working on. And uh, again, I, I know throughout my career, I've been really bad about keeping people informed. And I, uh, I, I had one manager in, I guess it was my second product management job, who started doing like virtual uh, stand-ups. You know, he just come by and he's like, so where are you on this project? And I'm like, shut the hell up and leave me alone, you know? Uh, and I realized what was happening was it wasn't him, it was his boss. Yeah. And the, the less I communicated, the more I undermined my own credibility with the big VP. He's like, I yeah. don't know what Steve's doing and silence is not golden. In the absence well, of evidence to the contrary, they think you're doing nothing or doing the wrong things basically. Right. Right. And there's a similar yeah. metaphor for developers. You know, when developers go silent, it usually means something is really, really bad going on. That they're trying to work their way out of. And you need to go into the cave and pull them out and say, all right, let's let's make this a team project. You're clearly blocked on something. I think one thing, Steve, with that, if you're setting the proper expectations and have a track record of, hey, if, unless you hear from me, everything's going fine. If, unless you hear from me, what I you'll, what last update I gave you was right, right? If you have that track record and people like, you know what? I know I may be worried about it, but every time Steve has made a commitment, as soon as something changed, he lets me know. As soon as something's off, he lets me know. There could be a situation where you, you, you could let things go. And as long as you're still on track, they shouldn't have to ask because you've shown them time over time. There's some quote I'm trying to think of, I can't come to it, like 30 minutes from now, I'm gonna blurt it out and we're gonna get back to this conversation. Uh, with that said, uh, let me pull up Jason's quote. Jason decided to come in last this week instead of first. And he came in 
I think with the first actually list numbered list of things that we've ever had in one of these answers. So Jason is pushing the boundaries. He's innovating the way to answer new things. I appreciate him taking the time this week to come down and, and, and push the envelope. So Jason said, as product managers, we must remember our key job is to deliver great products that solve important business problems in the market. All stakeholders want, to, want company success. As we are communicating, we need to, one, understand our audience, two, have the utmost integrity in communicating. Three, demonstrate our understanding of the impact, good or bad, to the market and current customers. All of these factors will build and maintain trust, which is key to positive stakeholder relationships. Jason, again, well kudos done. on the innovation with, with, with the list. I love it. And a great answer. Talk to me where your head is. Wow, I don't... I think uh, I'm not sure where that answer came from. <laughs> so I, I think I may not be the first one to answer the question anymore. Since uh, obviously a couple of days makes. <laughs> yeah, that way you can scan through everything and go. I can scan and be like, let me see if I can put everybody else's comments in bullet format and it'll make me seem smarter. <laughs> um, so I think at the end of the day, it has to do with what you guys were just talking about, which is uh, trust, right? Yeah. Um, especially in credibility. I mean, you have new stakeholders that are coming in and out of your of your kind of environment and you can't forget that you have to gain their trust as well, even if you are a trusted person with your other stakeholders. And so, you know, you have to kind of repeat, rinse and repeat, but, and, you know, I can't say this enough. Like, I think a lot of product managers are very nervous about giving kind of bad news and uh, in my opinion, so it seems like, well, that's a they're very happy product manager is doing very great. And I'm like, well, I like to hear bad news every once in a while because I know that you're grounded. You know, I want to know the truth at all the time. I don't want it to be sunny. I also, as a, as a product management leader, I also want to be challenged a lot. Don't just say yes and walk out of my office kind of thing. That doesn't work for me either. But I think that product managers have to have the courage to be able to say, listen, this isn't going right. We have to change direction, et cetera, without feeling and have an environment that they are um, comfortable in doing so. So there's trust that can work both ways in that in that regard. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think it's our responsibility to be just, uh, you know, very face the facts. I'm sure, Steve, you've done this very much so uh, in your career. Um, but it has to be a safe environment for that because I've been in situations where, that can not be very safe. But at the same time, you also have to be a product manager has a solution. So don't just come and walk around being grumpy and bad news all the time. Listen, here's a problem. This is how we're gonna solve it. You know, And that's how you gain the trust of the stakeholders and then go ahead and, and solve that problem. So deliver the bad news, but deliver the solution as well. Yeah, and, and build that trust. You know, so. I used to agree with you. You can't, it's not always sunny, but I now move, live in the Philadelphia area and it is always sunny in Philadelphia. It is always sunny in Philadelphia. But also bad things happen in Philadelphia. So I'm not even sure which way I'm going to go with that. <laughs> but, you know, I think the key is, you know, if you take all these answers back, it's, it's set expectations, build trust, communicate, understand their problems in, you know, Gosh, it sounds like product management, right? Stakeholder management is product management, but yeah. it's a different set of customers. So, and you know, it's not our next deal. You know, it's one of the one of the things I have difficulty with is the number of times people say, you know, here's what you as a product manager need to understand about everybody else. 
you know, you have to understand developers, you have to understand salespeople. Yeah, how, you know, how come I'm the one who has to be so damn understanding all the time? Uh, but I have certainly seen in my career that it really is a two-way street. I worked for a president who was super happy, super good to be around. I mean, you know, go to lunch, whatever. But we didn't communicate. You know, we, we hung together, maybe. And, you know, I, he would send me a, a, an inquiry of some kind. And I'd send a, you know, a well-considered reply. And he'd go, you know, great. You know, and there was like three questions in the email that I needed an answer to. Um, and it, 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 in retrospect, it was just like, you know, we, we never really communicated. I, 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 was, I thought I was presenting the information he needed, but, you know, I wasn't getting anything back from him. So, you know, it's like, hey, here's my roadmap. And, and uh, you know, here's what's going on. Here's the status. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm publishing as much as I can. But, you know, hey, would you say something other than looks good? you know, go. <laughs> you know? So there's a, I don't know, I think there's a, what I'm implying is there's a danger signal there that, you know, if you're not getting any well-considered feedback, then either you're not communicating or certainly you're not, well, you're not built, you're not building a, a trusted relationship. Or they're just being difficult, which we'll get to. Well, yeah, but in the end, you know, uh, there's an absence of trust if uh, on one side or the other. And maybe it's a misalignment of goals, right? Now, everybody, you, you know, we, you, you tell stories about salespeople, right? There are some times where oh, the stakeholders have their own personal goals that may not be the same as the teams. And so, Indeed. you know, I don't know if we, you know, there's an alignment issue on the goal. Sometimes we assume that, the, you know, I think, I think it was Jason. Somebody said the, the, the company, everybody, everybody in the company wants to succeed. I think maybe everybody's definition of success may be different, right? Because you've got point. some people who are fighting for a promotion. Some people are just fighting for the deals that are going to make them to president's club or whatever it may be. And so it may be that you have a stakeholder who's not fully engaged or not aligned uh, with, with the goals when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. With that, said, let's look at the poll. So the poll question was, which stakeholder function do you find the most difficult to collaborate with? <clears throat> Executives came in with four. That's where my vote was. Development came with one and sales one. We got actually, I think, more comments on the poll than we've ever gotten. Uh, Dharma Subramanian, who we haven't seen for a while, came back with a great comment. The first thing that came to me, Jason, you were talking about finance earlier. I wonder if I had taken executives and bifurcated it, I like that word, I wanted to use it, bifurcate it into the C-suite and, and then had finance as separate because I started thinking about most of my issues with executives and it was issues with the CFO or a VP of finance, hmm. trying to align around expectations in a business case or what what's the cost of capital to, to do a, a thing on. Do you think, Jason, if, it, first, where did you vote? Executives. If it was separate, if we had executives as one and finance as another, do you think it would have split some of those votes? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, certainly in the executive team, it was finance. It was probably the most challenging for those reasons I mentioned earlier. Um, uh, but I, you know, I've communicated, you know, I was on an executive team and I'd have to get buy-in from 
in different times, legal counsel, the head of sales, the head of operations, the head of IT was always was usually pretty easy. Actually, the CTO is always the easy one uh, for me because um, we can just hash out and battle out at a kind of a geek level and figure out what to move forward with. But um, the see if the environments were so drastically different between legal counsel, the CEO, finance, mm -hmm. that it was really kind of hard, kind of hard to navigate exactly what was their triggers, what was important to them. Yeah, and, and you know, I voted for executives, and until you brought up finance, I was thinking of my stories with CEO founder types, John, and you would comment on that as well. Uh, and uh, you know. Talk to me, we've talked about this in the, uh, when we were doing the uh, conversation about bringing product management to a new organization. Where did you vote on this and what are your takes? I also voted executives for the same reason uh, you mentioned around the you know, CEO or executive as chief product person, uh, not getting out of your way problem. Um, yeah. I can, I can see why somebody would have voted on the sales side because, you know, the same, tell me what I'm getting when I'm getting it, uh, goldfish mentality of what the last deal I lost. Um, so I can see why that's, you know, and it's also such a different mentality than the product mentality. Uh, you know, those people are super coin operated, like going, 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 going. Uh, so I can see how it could be possible to have trouble interacting potentially there if you don't have the right personality. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think the executive thing is probably harder also because there's just so much more importance to that uh, set of relationships, right? Those people control yeah. the strings and the budgets, so. That, no, also, I the, the, decisions, the decisions that executives have to make have a lot more impact than the decisions that a salesperson has to make exactly. or really anybody else on here, right? They get paid for making decisions. Each decision is could be very costly, albeit more strategic and infrequent than say a decision at any other level. So when you're communicating with them, it's like, <laughs> you know, well, they're looking at you like, what do I do now? I, you know, do I lay off 60,000 people or go after VC funding? You know, that kind of thing. It, it can be quite drastic based on you as a head of product, you know, coming in with your new strategies. Well, I think you're answering a different question. I think you're answering the question of, importance as opposed to difficulty yeah in my instant in my experience dealing with executives in general is not so much difficult as important uh and in many cases well you know one of my favorite stories is uh the the president pulled me aside and said you know our developers suck you got to go fix that and so i went to development and i hear i said hey i hear you guys suck and uh the my lead developer said, you know, well, I, let me tell you what's really happening. You know, what's happening is our requirements are changing every week. So the following Monday, I go back to the leadership team and I said, I found the problem in development. It's you guys, you need to shut the hell up. And that was an important conversation and frankly, wasn't very difficult. My could have been, though. And I, uh, uh, you know, I, I chose, I'm the one who chose sale. Uh, my difficulty with sales is that- Wait, 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 wait. You chose sales? Yeah, no, it's hard to imagine. I oh mean, my you know, God. It's clear in everything I say and do how much I love working with salespeople, but um, we're living in completely different universes. I'm thinking about standard, consistent, long-term. And they're like, screw that. If I don't close these deals this month, I lose my job. 
So I remember vividly talking to uh, the director of sales here in Virginia. Uh, and I just said, you know, you've got to stop taking my product managers on sales calls. You have sales engineers, you have to use them. And he said, but the, you know, sales engineers we have are not any good and, our, and your product managers are great. So I'm taking them on all these sales calls. And I said, well, here's the thing. That if you do that, that means we won't have any new products next year. And he goes, that's not my problem. I'm worried about this quarter. Next year, I'll be worried about something else next year. But if I don't deal with this quarter, I won't be here next year. So screw you and your strategy. You know, and it's just like, wow, we completely live in different universes. And I've always found communicating with sales to be most difficult. And I mean this in a loving, giving, embracing way. And the least important. Fascinating. It's important to communicate with leadership. Um, it's annoying as shit to deal with salespeople because they're so focused on the deal of the day and not the long view, which is what I'm trying to take. I think there's two aspects to to the the lens they have. So I think the, the lens problem you have is the time horizon lens. Uh, you're thinking about, you know, what are you going to deliver in a year? Mm -hmm. Theoretically, in a long-term strategy, and they're obviously thinking about the, the next deal in this right. quarter. So that, and that sounds like that's the thing that causes you the most pain. But in theory, the other lens is understanding the customers and their problems that you mm -hmm. should share and have in common and that should make it easier for you to communicate with them. I would think, I would hope, right? You would think, except, you know, just to be uh, contrarian, uh, they don't care about the customer I talk to. They care about the customer they talk to. I mean, I remember uh, uh, doing a session where the marketing team said they had, you know, developed these personas and they were really good and they decided to share them with the sales team. And the sales team was completely unimpressed. They're like, I don't have a single customer who looks like this. Well, no, this is an aggregate. It's, it's all customers in one bundle. And they're like, I don't know a single person who looks like this. And they're not even, you know, don't even have the right name. You know, I mean, they're just so... N equals one, they couldn't see an N equals many. Again, that goes back to the alignment of goals. We talked yeah. about it before we even went to the poll and that's a situation. I will say back to your comment on the importance of the leadership team and the executives versus difficulty. I think the experience John and I had with a, with a CEO founder who doesn't want, you know, stepping on your toes because they don't want to get out of the product strategy. Mm -hmm. That's a difficulty. That's not an important thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Great. important too, because they're, you know, they're the CEO. But, you know, it's a clear distinction between important and difficult. So with that said, let's go to uh, our first open-ended question. Uh, and this actually was uh, one that uh, Greg had sort of suggested this question. What are the best techniques and tools to manage the expectations of stakeholders? So... There's the importancy level, there's the difficulty level, but what, what are the tools and techniques? We talked about a lot of the soft skills, empathy and uh, you know, viewing them at understanding their problem, but what tools and techniques do you have above and beyond that are a little more harder to do that? Uh, you know, for me, it would be an ongoing communication call. If I'm on a project, who are the key stakeholders on that project? And I would make sure that those stakeholders, I'm updating them on what's going on. So email, you know, back in the day, maybe it's a Slack channel with four or five guys in it. Uh, whatever it may be doing. Yeah, John, that was for you. Uh, talk to me about, you know, 
what tools do you use currently? Jason, do you guys have a, a, a communication platform? Do you have a uh, project management platform? What, what are you using and what techniques? Well, I don't know about techniques, but I mean, we use uh, Teams. I think this is the, for some reason, this uh, company I'm currently in doesn't use Slack. Um, but I have in my product management, my other company, and that was like the best tool to use for us to, um, to coordinate within my development team. Um, but with other stakeholders, you know, it's uh, email or something, but um, we've gone heavy in teams um, and Jira, we're trying to put in some product management tools. It really is probably too many tools. We're using Confluence and other things. Um, we have a bit too many tools at this point. So we're trying to actually go and harmonize some of that. Um, but it really just depends on which stakeholders we're talking about. Yeah. John, do you guys have a set way or do you have things that you use? Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, Setway, maybe. Um, uh, not surprisingly, at Google, we don't use Slack heavily. Uh, we use Google Chat. Or Teams. <laughs> or Teams, true. Well, um, have so we use... Uh, did you use Wave? We did used to have Wave. I actually liked it. I wrote a blog post on Wave back in the day. I liked it. I thought it was kind of cool. There's just nobody was there. Um, and then some of that technology ended up being layered into other things later on. Anyway, so... Um, we use lots and lots of docs uh, for communication, um, lots of collaboration inside of the docs. Uh, people comment liberally inside of these things. And then we have you know, product plan of record that gets released to NDA partners or NDA customers at certain levels and you know, with the vagueness as necessary for the things you commit to for customers. Um, a level, level of detail more for internal communications, things like that, but those things exist as as you know, slide decks and uh, and spreadsheets largely. We don't use any like weird specialized tools. Uh, See, and, and Jason, when I was talking techniques, part of it was we've talked about earlier aligning people around the same goal. So if I'm working with stakeholders, one technique I use is getting all the stakeholders in a room and, and setting objectives, right? You know, it's not really OKRs, but here's what we're expected, expected to. Here's my expectations of each of your organizations or your remits and how do we leverage that? So one, the technique is sort of a very upfront getting people aligned around what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to do and set those expectations and get the alignment uh, with, with what we're doing. Steve, talk to me about your thoughts on techniques and tools to help manage the expectation of st stakeholders. Well, I'm going to come back to product canvas and roadmap. Okay. Um, in my last real job, you know, the first thing I did was for everything I was responsible for, I built a canvas, you know, here's, here's who buys it, here's who uses it, here's what it is, here's what problems it solves. I mean, you know, the basic stuff that I teach in our, in our uh, product management essentials or fundamentals. Uh, so here's a statement of what it is. And it's always kind of interesting. Uh, uh, in this particular case, the, the, the president put uh, taped those canvases up to his whiteboard. And he's like, you know, here's, here's my portfolio of products. Um, and then when a new one, a, a new idea came along, I'm like, wow, that seems like a great idea. Let's do a product canvas together. And we fill it out. And he's like, hmm, maybe this isn't so good an idea. So uh, the product canvas is just making sure we're all 
singing to the same tune is one thing. And then the other, I think the most popular request from all executives is show me the roadmap. And I think it's a reasonable expectation. You know, here's, here's phase one, here's phase two, here's phase three. Uh, the difficulty lies, as we talked about in a different context a while back, we tend to give them too much detail. You know, here's, here are the stories we're working on, you know, and they're like, you know, that means nothing to me, as opposed to, you know, epics or initiatives, uh, month by month or quarter by quarter. And then being able yeah. to show just with colorizing, you know, hey, this thing is delayed because of COVID, or this thing is delayed because our lead developer took maternity leave, or this thing is delayed for whatever reason, but this thing is, you know, you know, green means good, red means bad. And a, yeah. a fairly simple metaphor. The trickiest part though, is when they're like, hey, I don't see my pet project feature uh, on the roadmap and you're like, all right, well, that's maybe a different conversation there. Uh, and that's back to your, the, the president as chief product officer, you know, yeah. if they are monitoring the project too closely, but still, I would say at minimum, we would want to be sharing at every leadership meeting, you know, here's the, here's the product canvas and any, any new information on the canvas, here's the roadmap and any new information on the roadmap. And so are there, are there other artifacts? And I'm thinking specifically, maybe the launch canvas would be also one of those, because if you're thinking about stakeholders in the launch process. So many of the, some of the artifacts are contacts we're giving to people to help them understand and do their job. Some of the artifacts we're creating are these stakeholder artifacts, things that help people get people on the same page and, mm -hmm. and get people going. So maybe it's thinking about some of the stuff we do is to provide context. Some of it is provide guidance and alignment in communication about where we're going in the direction of the vision. Right. So, well, and yeah, awesome. to, to that point in my launch class, you know, I've got a status dashboard of what departments are ready and which ones are not, um, as well as a launch canvas. Uh, again, another, a nice couple of one pagers of, you know, here's what's going on with the launch project. Yeah. Awesome. If All it right. can't be done in PowerPoint, I probably don't do it. <laughs> spreadsheets. I do like my spreadsheets with conditional format. Exactly. You, you're very good at those. I, I, I'd have to say that those are my two. Uh, <clears throat> side note, we'll, we'll do a quick poll. PowerPoint or presentation deck, whether it is slides, keynote, or uh, PowerPoint or something else, and a table-based numbers thing, whether it's numbers, sheets, or Excel, are those the two tools of the trade that you use the most? Steve and I are, are there, John. And I did that yeah. whole for you because I, I didn't want to- I know, I appreciate that, thank you. Uh, we at Google all appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think we use those two, and then we actually do a fair number of documents, Word slash docs, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, communication for a, okay. a number. Yeah, wiki. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jason. Yeah, we're heavy, 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 heavy PowerPoint or, you know, presentation yeah. slides. <laughs> um, but I prefer to do a lot in um, Excel, uh, in spreadsheets as well. Right. Sounds like we got unanimous uh, there on this side note that we didn't know we were going to talk about today. Wonderful, guys. <laughs> uh, 
now our next question. We talked about it a little in the poll, poll, but we talked about who was the most difficult. What is the best way to manage a difficult stakeholder? Right, Steve, I'm gonna to go to you because you, you talked about your, no, you, you gave an example of a difficult sales stakeholder who wanted your product management people to be SEs and didn't care about new products next year. How do you manage a difficult stakeholder? I'm not sure I have a good technique. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so uh, easy. I, I, I assume that the people I'm working with are rational, which so immediately, you know, it's like, wow, you're going the wrong direction now. You know, so I kind of present, I feel like I, I, if I just present you with my rational understanding of the facts, then you will embrace them. And, and I was talking to, um, I think it was Rich Marinoff, who I love, I love everything he writes on Marinoff.com. Uh, and he was talking about salespeople in particular. Uh, and he said, here's where you're, here's where you're falling down. When you say no to a sales guy, you think you have ended the conversation. And we spend thousands of dollars every year teaching our salespeople that no is the beginning of a conversation. And so when I say no to the sales guy, no, that's not on the roadmap. My work here is done. He's like, well, hang on. And, you know, next thing you know, he's talking to a developer, he's talking to my boss, or he's talking to the head of sales. Steve won't let me make quota. What are you going to do about it? And so, you know, maybe, maybe well, maybe, maybe that's my problem. I've been trying to deal with salespeople as rational people. And uh, maybe that's why I have so much friction. Um, so I don't have a really good answer. In other well, words. So get back to that, that individual salesperson with their making quota may not be the stakeholder it's the head of sales who would be the stakeholder potentially so maybe yeah, i'm reminded of um i don't know if you remember this in the early days of blackberry blackberry was the phone before the iphone uh but it was once a fruit then it now it's, then it was phone now it's a fruit again uh but anyway there was a hook they had to put into the mail server i think and so all these sales guys found out about the BlackBerry. They went out and bought one. They brought it back. They went to IT and IT said, oh yeah, no, you can't, you can't get your email because that's an unsecured device or something. And every sales guy walked into the VP of sales's office and says, IT won't let me make quota. And next thing you know, everybody's got a BlackBerry because you know, somehow that's going to help you make quota. Uh, when I just thought it was a brilliant escalation, and yet I, I didn't, I never recognized that salespeople were doing the same thing to me. Yeah, they are, were, doing the same. Were. Thing. Jason, talk to me about how you uh, manage a difficult stakeholder. Yeah, there's been challenges, you know, like at the executive level, like I mentioned, but also with developers, lead developers project managers, scrum masters, like anybody, um, you know, I have a ch I always challenge myself for anybody who's difficulty that is difficult. I'm going to win them over. And so I always identify who that person's going to be. And then that's my goal. And uh, I, I rarely am not successful with that. And um, so I spent, make sure I spend time with the, a lot of the empathy component, really trying to understand what makes them tick what's important to them, what's their background, 
what have they done? What have they done to be successful in the past? Because I know that's kind of what they're driving towards. And then, you know, doing what I can to be an asset for them um, and, and make sure that I'm part of their growth, uh, that I can be a part of their successful, their success in the, in the organization. Um, and then uh, I do my best to win them over that way. And it seems to work out. So I, I, so you're a charmer. Of, I, I'm a charmer. I have to be. Um, Basically, I, and, a but I've been with people that have been in the avoidance category of difficult stakeholders and they'll work around them. Um, I find that, that there's little benefit to that, but that is also a strategy, but I don't recommend it. Yeah. And, I, and my I buddy, Art Petty, has a whole uh, on demand seminar series on difficult conversations and you know, dealing with this kind of conflict. Uh, so if that interests you, artpetty.com. Awesome. John, uh, talk to me about if, your if thoughts. Things, that's a course I should take. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you instead should. Just, yeah, instead of just recommending it, maybe I should actually take it. <laughs> maybe yeah. you should take it before you actually recommend it too. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, so I think my strategy is along the same lines as Jason's. I've had uh, and early in my career, I had ops stakeholders that were like brutally difficult to deal with. And I ended up figuring out through uh, a leadership coach we had at that company that we basically approached problem solving in two different ways. And that person needed to go off and think about it before coming back to the table with a solution. And I just need, wanted to make a solution in the room with the best information we had at the time and move on. And that drove them insane. And they thought that I was like being flippant and didn't care because I was trying to make decisions quickly. And so once I understood their different thinking, the fact that they just approach things in a different way than I do, and I developed some empathy for them just to come back to my original answer. Uh, and we were able to have open discussions about this in a way that made it easier for us to then work together. And I stopped trying to always solve the problem in the room or I said, maybe, you know, this person needs to go Think about this. Let's you know reconvene on this tomorrow or whatever the the thing is. Um, but it all came down to like understanding them as humans and trying to figure out how best to work with them. To to layer on to Jason's don't don't go around them point. That is yeah. a successful strategy exactly once, uh, and then you've completely burned that potential relationship, and it will yeah. hurt you probably going forward. So yeah, indeed. It's interesting because in, your answer made me think about a part of a training presentation we used to do, Steve, where we talked about the different ways you talk to the different listening styles. Mm -hmm. And there were some mm -hmm. people who were story listeners, some people who were number listeners, and some people who were process listeners. Did I get that right? Uh, uh, salespeople love stories. Uh, finance people love formulas. Um, developers love data. Yeah. And, and so when, you're, when you start thinking about how people listen, and what they're interested in, then that's a way to start thinking about how to manage a difficult stakeholder by understanding, to your point, John, you know, the way they were approaching solving the problem was different. So you need to take that step back and, and, and think about it. For me, the best success I had managing a diff difficult stakeholder was continuing to try to build the relationship, but also build out the business case. So all the other stakeholders, especially the leadership team, saw the value of what we were doing and, and got behind it. I had a divisional CFO, we were trying to make an acquisition. This, the president said, we need to get this acquisition. We, 
Grant, your job is to get it done. The CFO didn't like it and put a 20 plus percent cost of capital into my NPV formula, which made it, I mean, for finance, for non-finance nerds, the higher your cost of capital is, the harder it is to prove a return on investment or net present value. Uh, they were trying to kill this thing with a high cost of capital. And I stopped and I sat back and I said, let me tell the story. And that's where I switched how I told the story to senior leadership and said, here's the opportunity if we go into this space, right? Big opportunity. It's our installed base. This is going to add a new solution. We can sell to these people. Do you agree we should go into, in this case, it was uh, parts management in the MRO parts management in the industrial space. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, yes, we got to go in. The second thing I did was, okay, here are our options. We can build it ourselves. Here's how long that will take. Here's what that will cost. Or we can buy company X. And all of a sudden, it changed the whole. So by getting that end game, by working the other stakeholders, it actually brought everything back around. So I want to uh, agree with that. And, you know, thank good story. Um, I want to I want to run with that though. I have as as we're thinking about managing difficult stakeholders, I have found doing it in a group is helpful as well. When you've got you know one person who's kind of entrenched, uh, I, I'm just re remembering the number of times that I would have say a leadership meeting, and I know there's this one person who's entrenched, um, presenting it to the whole room and saying, you know, I don't really know how to go forward here. And, you know, four of the five people say, well, this is brilliant, we should go that way. And then they can pull him into their little world. Uh, and a, a more tangible example is I had a sales guy who wanted single sign-on to be, you know, the number one thing because he had a client who demanded single sign-on. Uh, and yet, you know, we had other things on the list too, right? So I was in a sales meeting and he was like, Steve, I want to hear you say that single sign-on is going to be shipping next week. And I said, well, first of all, it's not. I mean, we're not working on it yet, but we, you know, we plan to, it's on our roadmap. And he's like, where, exactly where? And I, so I had the nerve, it was stupid probably, but I brought up a list of my prioritized top 10 and single sign-on was like number nine. And he's like, I want this move to number one. And I turned to the room of salespeople and said, hey, if that's what you guys want, that's where I'll put it. And the room went crazy. <laughs> the like, well, hell no, I don't want it up there. My client wants number two. So you keep doing that, you know, or, you know, and suddenly when the whole room is involved, now we're doing, you know, evil democracy. And uh, this guy was basically shouted down by the majority. So, you know, maybe actually that is a bad example based on all of the love and, and joy and care and candy and flowers that Jason and John were talking about. So here's a question for you, Steve. And, and next I want to then get to Greg's prepared statement on this. When you have that, say it's a small team of five and you have one person, do you do one-on-one -on -one meetings with the other four stakeholders to sort of pre-align? Here's the situation I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm trying to do. Or do you just hope that they're going to all be aligned with you. I know I should do what you said. I mean, I did certainly have a history of pre-meeting meetings, which yeah. you know seems so maniacal to me. And you know, it's kind of like the person who thinks decisions are made or in meeting are, are are made in meetings is is generally wrong. Um, 
but you know, I would have, I certainly would have conversations with, you know, key folks before the meeting, not so much to be manipulative, but just to, you know, have a discussion that was focused in their area of interest. Yeah. And so that I, you know, so that I felt like, oh yeah, we're all in sync here. And then in that meeting, when there's an outlier, then it's planning poker time. It's like, well, you know, everybody else thinks this is a three. Why do you think it's an eight? You know, argue us to your position. Yeah, it'll come to me. Uh, there's a, uh, forget it. I'll get back to it some other time. I want to remember it. Roger Martin had a, a great phrase with that type of stuff. And I can't remember what it was. It'll come back to it. Any last comments, Jason uh, or John, before I go to Greg's prepared statement? All right. Greg had said, I'm very interested in how everybody handles difficult stakeholders. This was a question he was, he was very interested in. When leading multiple products across multiple businesses, this gets more difficult to deal with the various personalities and the importance of their businesses. So think about if you're a portfolio person with multiple, it even compounds it. Satisfying these sometimes conflicting business requests while dealing with limited resources, budgets, and increased internal demands takes a balancing act. In many ways, this is a no-win situation. The best you can do is increase communication. There's the soft skill stuff. We're right there uh, with the stakeholders. Be unemotional in the definition of prioritization and be very clear on the roadmap, current status, and delivery success. So it almost like hits a lot of what, you know, communication, alignment, roadmap. Uh, and then he said, budget season requires a whole next level of Xanax. <laughs> so, but Greg, we wish you were here for this call, but we look forward to having you in the next one. All right, with that, we're gonna move to our rapid fire. I'm gonna put this up right now. Uh, as I read it, John, start thinking about your answer. I know never to leave with Jason on this anymore. Uh, the question is, what is your top recommendation to a new product leader for stakeholder communications? Communicate early and often. Communicate early and often. Jason. So I'm gonna say listen. I mean, product managers are supposed to be keen at listening, understanding problems and understanding weak spots. But also I would say, you know, pay a lot of attention to every meeting that you're in, in involved in, especially early on and find out who your leaders are. They're not in management. Those, yeah, are, the, so those, are, the, those are the ones you're gonna to wanna to consult with with some of that communication initially to fly it through them to see how that's going to be digested through the rest of the organization as you're getting a feel how the rest of it kind of uh, works out. Dang, that is a pearl of wisdom, identifying the non-stakeholder influencers who can help you with success there. Strong. Jason, oh, God, I don't know how to follow that one up, but Jason luckily I don't have the lightning to round. All right. <laughs> you know, Jason, that, that's an interesting one to, to jump on. Um, one of the things that I teach in my class is the way you make change in an organization is to one, people who are asking to change have to know why. Second, they have to have the skills to do so. And third, they have to have support from people they respect. And every time I've said that, I'm thinking leadership. But your point is really powerful. There are so many leaders in the organization that are not leadership, that are not the executive team. And so if you've got like a senior developer or a senior sales rep who's saying, well, this is just stupid. We're never going to do this. 
then you're undermined from the very beginning. So I would say if, if you were going to call a me grant, um, that's you, you're next. <laughs> the top recommendation is to recognize that stakeholder communications is critically important to a product leader. And in my early career, at least, well, no, throughout my career, I have never really considered that a top issue. And in looking back, every time I had a problem, it was because I didn't put stakeholder communications at the top of my to-do list, of my understanding of my role. That's awesome. So we've got John with communicate early and often, Jason with listen, pay attention, and the wisdom of find those non-leader leaders who are going to be influencers and help with success. And Steve is coming around with the just the important, no, never forget how important stakeholder communications is because that's going to be critical to the, to the success there. I'm going to build on all of those things, trying to do our yes and, 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 and say, with that, if you can communicate clearly and crisply, you need to communicate clearly and crisply what the alignment is. What is our goal? Make sure we're aligned in, in what we're trying to achieve and the outcomes of that. That's, but you have to listen and pay attention to make sure you understand each person's what's in it for them and, and that type of stuff. Uh, and Steve, once you have identified that, you have to communicate that clearly. Uh, so. Uh, to me, you use all those things and you put that in the center of the core, the alignment around what are we all working to? What is our why? What is our purpose? What is our mission to make sure we got, we got that flag in front? And that's sort of where I, a lot of times I was the guy carrying the flag up the hill, getting shot at, which helped my stakeholders, you know, rally. Uh, with that said, actually one last question and I'll, I'll pose it to everybody, you know, if you're a product leader, are your product managers stakeholders? Should you treat them like stakeholders or is that just employees and management? So I'll go, I think absolutely. I mean, if you're a product leader, you should have some sort of vision overall of product, product portfolio. And, you know, some of what you have to do is over communicate your vision consistently and to your um, product managers and consistently justify your vision with new data that you're getting that, that, that makes it, you know, still up to date and new and any kind of changes. Uh, and they're going to appreciate the, um, you know, where you're going and that you're using that information. Also, they're going to cue on what you've learned uh, throughout the organization as you're talking to these stakeholders um, and you communicate to that your product managers so you can help them also be good communicators to the same group. Dang, I'm just going to turn over my uh, facilitation role to Jason. He's just killing it today. Yeah, uh, I, I don't need, I don't, I don't need to add a comment to that, John or Steve. No, I'm good. No, I'm good. from a website. Right. If you guys want the address, I can text it to you. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as we do every week, Mondays, we have a question in the community, uh, product growth leader, community.productgrowthleaders.com. Uh, on Wednesday, we have the poll. And on Friday, we have these amazing conversations. And as always, you know, Jason had said it after our last conversation in the, in, in the community. I think we always said every week, this is one of my brightest spots of my week. I always look forward to amazing conversations. And there has not yet been one of these conversations where I haven't been challenged to change my opinions or thoughts on something because somebody presented some ideas uh, that made me do that. So thank you, friends, uh, John, Jason, Steve. Uh, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you guys on the next topic call. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. 
If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the Topic of the Week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.